your Bible and turn to Ecclesiastes. Exhorted you to read through the book. You've done so. Read it again. Read it again. Repetition is mother of learning, right? So read it again as we keep working through it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day. This day is a gift. And we're called to rejoice in it, be glad, because it's another day to worship you, to learn of you, to grow in you, to be pleasing to you. It's a day, it's an opportunity for us to gather. And when we gather together in your name as your church, it is a really special time. We get to encourage one another and be encouraged and strengthen one another and come before you and hear your voice from your word. We get to hear the word preached, proclaimed, and brought challenge to our souls. And we get to remember today in the Lord's Supper in a very unique way to remember. Remember the redemptive work that you have accomplished in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for this time and this, this time together. And I ask that in this hour, you would protect us from an academic exercise. And that the word as we think about it and the Spirit of God brings its truth and application to our lives that we will respond with tender, eager, obedient hearts. And we pray all of this in the name of our Savior and for your glory, our great God. And to this all of his people said, Amen. 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 Well, in the words of the great uh, philosopher and theologian Forrest Gump, he said, life is just like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, right? Somebody else said, if life is a bowl of cherries, how come I'm always in the pits, right? Or, as Carl Sandburg said, life is like an onion, but the more that you peel it, the more it can bring tears to your own eyes. Well, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, life is all vanity. It's all vanity where? Under the sun. It needs purpose. It's fleeting. It's futile. It's meaningless and without purpose or significance in and of itself from a human level. And his theme of stating that, verse 2, and then he makes his initial reasoning for that, his argument in verse 3, here's why it's vanity. What profit, what benefit, what advantage does man have in all his work which he does where? Everybody say it. Which he does where? Under the sun, on this level. What, what's it all accomplished? Where does it all 
lead to in the final end. And we can ask it different ways, like we did last week, but we'll just think about it again. In the long run, where's the proof of any significance of all my life's labor and achievements? One other person helps us get a handle on what Solomon means by that statement. He says, Solomon is speaking of all human effort and activity and the question of permanent value or significance. Somebody else said, I thought about all that I had done and how hard I had worked in doing it, and I realized in the end it didn't mean a thing. Wow. I had uh, one of my grandsons say to me, uh, this past week or the prior, he said, Grandpa, I got Ecclesiastes figured out. It's a book on depression. <laughs> well, you can almost go there, can't you, when you hear him convey this. And his initial evidence of the fact that all of life is vanity is in verses 4 through verse 10. And we, we saw how that was so. He makes that statement in verse 4. Generation goes, generation comes. But the earth remains the same, and there are these, these cycles in life that are taking place all the times where he's in effect saying the more things change, the more they seem to stay the same, right? And so there's this cycle of the reality, the sun up, sundown, day by day, the reality of the wind comes and goes, the reality of the water flowing, the rivers into the sea, and all this taking place. Deborah can explain the cycles of life in terms of laundry. The basket fills up, she takes it, she washes it, dries it, folds it, puts it away, we put it on, get it dirty, and fill up the basket all over again, right? All the women are nodding their head right now, correct? But the reality of, here's this ongoing uh, cycles with reference to, to nature and, and to life. And, and we look at that from a Christian perspective. We see the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. Um, his mercies are new. How often? Every, every morning. But the reality in the midst of that is generations come and they go. And there's a sense in which that line of all that's taking place, you and I are a little blimp on that. That's what he's saying. And at the end of that little line, okay, what's it accomplish? What's it mean on this particular human level? So he says, thinking about that in verse 8, causes him to be what? Verse 8. He says, it causes me to be what? 1-8. To be wearisome. It almost gives him a headache. Or if he's my age, he wants to take a nap. Anybody else want to say amen to that, right? You know? It is wearisome. And in verses 8 through verse 11... He, he conveys the fact that there's nothing that satisfies. Look at verse 8. Let's read it. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. And then he says, oh, there's that key statement. There is what? There's nothing new. Nothing satisfies. Nothing's new. And then in verse 10, he'll tell us that nothing is remembered. Let's look, let me keep reading here. Nothing new under the sun. Verse 10, is there anything of which one might say, see, this is new, already has existed for ages. 
which were before us, there's no remembrance of earlier things. And also the latter things which will occur, there will be for them no remembrance among those who still, who will come later after us. Wow, so he's just given us this reality of, of life just lived on this uh, particular level. Now in verses 12 through, through verse 18, he switches gears, but he's got the same argument. And the, 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 the same basic argument is the reality of all's vanity. The way that he approaches it now is, in verses 12 through 18, he says, I'm going to figure out all of life on the basis of human wisdom. I'm going to check out everything, and I'm going to figure out life on my own, by his own investigation. In fact, we can look at these verses in this manner. Here's his wisdom journey that he's telling us about. And he tells us in verses 12 and 13 what he's going to do, in verses 14 and 15 what he discovers in the process, and that where it leads him in verses 16 through 18 and how he is discouraged with the reality of where, where this all ends. So let me read those verses as a whole and not stop and then come back to just the beginning of this, what he determines to do in this journey that he's taking. Okay, I'll read right through 12 through 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It's a grievous task which God has given to the sons of man to be afflicted with. I've seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold... All is vanity, striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Well, I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I realize this also is striving after wind. Why? Because in much wisdom there is much grief. And increased knowledge results in increased pain. Wow. Solomon's wisdom journey. What he d- determines to do. Notice the repeated phrase in verse 13. And I set my mind. Notice again how it's repeated in verse 17. And I set my mind. So he's doing an investigation. He's examining everything he can on a human level to answer the question about life and its perplexities and its problems and the question of it. And he mentions that. Sets his mind twice. Now remember who we have here. We got the wisest of the wise. Right? We've got humanity at maximum mental capacity. He's got every Ph.D. known to man. So he can look into things from a human level like nobody else. In fact, let's, by way of reminder, turn in our Bible back to 1 Kings chapter 3, if you would. Back to 1 Kings chapter 3, where we are reminded of the gracious gift that God gave him, with, which was 
pleasing to God. Remember, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in verse 8, he says, Your servant in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted, so give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked the life of your, uh, for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself discernment and understanding justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one be like one arise after you. Uh, look over in um, verse 28. There was that test of his wisdom, the two gals concerning the infant and who, whose infinite was, and he makes this incredible statement as to uh, cut the infant in two, and of course he wasn't going to have him do that, and it demonstrated who the real mother was. And then it says in verse 28, just an example of his wisdom. When all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had handed down, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Over there in chapter 4, look at verse 29. Now God gave Solomon wisdom and, and very great discernment and breadth of mind, like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of East and all the wisdom of Egypt. Uh, verse 34. Verse 34, same chapter. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from the kings of the earth who had heard of his tremendous wisdom. Over in chapter 10. Over into chapter 10. So the queen of Sheba makes this great journey with her entourage to check this great king that she's heard about. And just for the sake of time, down there in verse 6, then she said to the king, it was true report which I heard in my own land about your words and about your wisdom. Same chapter over to verse 20, 23, 23. So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and in what? One more time, and in wisdom. So this, this is, he's the best of the best figuring things out on a human level. And he's going to explain and he's going to answer things that even, uh, even, even Karen Chang couldn't, couldn't answer. Last name is Chang, C-H-E-N-G, age 17, at age 17, from Fremont, California. She acquired a perfect score of 800 on both sections of the SAT test. Do they give it anymore? SAT? Perfect score. Perfect score. She achieved a perfect score of 800 on both sections of the SAT. She also got a perfect 8,000 on the rigorous University of California Acceptance Index. Never before had anyone accomplished this staggering intellectual feat. Straight-A student, uh, I suppose so, at Mission San, uh, San Jose High School. Described herself as a typical teen. <laughs> Didn't sound typical to me. Her teachers 
told a different story. They called her Wonder Woman because of her unique, unquenchable thirst for knowledge and her uncanny ability to retain whatever she read. But when a reporter asked her, well, what's the meaning of life? She said, I have no idea, but I'd like to know. Wow. And Solomon, we could say, perhaps is even a greater wisdom than, than that. And so he says in verse 13, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, remember, for 40 years, and I set my mind to seek and to explore. Uh, the NIV says, and to study. Uh, the first word, seek, has the idea of searching something out to the fullest extent. Seems obvious, doesn't it? To know something as well as it can possibly be understood. Explore has the idea, it's a synonym, but it's different, to examine every possible aspect of something to leave nothing unexplained. All that had been done under heaven, he says. All that can be known. All that is humanly possible to comprehend was his quest. Verse 13. And notice he said, it's a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to afflict them. It was not a pleasant task per se. There's an interesting quote at this point that I think we should give our attention to by Derek Kidner, a great uh, commentary on Ecclesiastes and other uh, books of the Bible. And I think I have this quote for us. Derek Kidner says this, and I want you to think about what is he talking about. He says, somewhere in the course of 40 years, Solomon forgot his own first principle of wisdom. What would he be saying there, his own first principle of wisdom? Well, you know, several of you are nodding, and the rest of them are afraid to answer right now, okay? You're nodding your head because you know that Proverbs, him, Solomon himself wrote in Proverbs 1-7 that the what is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. And I think Kidner's nailing it for us here that somewhere along the line, Solomon kind of thought he could carry out on his own. And at that point, he discovers he doesn't have the answers he doesn't know it all. NIV says, what, what a heavy burden laid upon men. The process was as painful and laborious exercise as could be. And I wonder myself, how long did this take place that he's going to search out everything that he can? But he says, it was a grievous task. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun. Verse 14, look at it with me again. And behold, all is vanity and like trying to catch the wind, striving after wind. Riken has a good quote for us at this point. He says, Solomon's quest was sincere. He devoted his heart and soul knowing the truth. His quest was comprehensive. The word seek and search in verse 13 shows how serious he was. He wanted to take it all in, leaving nothing out so that his conclusions about life would be as definitive as possible. He wanted to investigate every area of human endeavor. All is done under the, head, under the heaven, under heaven. 
This quest was commendable, but it wasn't pleasant for him. So what he discovered, that's the second part of our outline here. What he determined to do, check it all out. What he discovered then in verse 14 and verse 15, just read it. Vanity, striving after wind. He's back to zero. He has not figured everything out. He still has his questions. His wisdom falls short. He's trying to grasp or comprehend what is beyond his human understanding. I think he's kind of like Job's three friends at this point. They could make really good guesses in the real questions of life, but they really didn't know the ultimate answer. And here's Solomon going through that. So Riken has another, if I can quote him again. He says, the unhappy business that Koheleth, that is the preacher, that is Solomon, has in mind may be the very quest to understand the meaning of life. The pursuit of knowledge itself is what turns out to be such a bad business. The longer he looked for answers and the harder he tried to understand the meaning of life, we could say the significance of life, the purpose of life, the more frustrated he became with all of life's unanswerable questions and impenetrable enigmas. Wow. He has exhausted his ability to figure out all the deep and profound questions of life. Well, think about that. Somebody's illustrated that. You've heard this said. You have a mountain that rep- represents all knowledge and all wisdom and all understanding. And man climbs that mountain so far and he gets to a certain point and then his finite mind can grasp so much and beyond that point is the infinite wisdom and knowledge of God himself. And what I see is Solomon has climbed that thing right to the max, but he's fallen right back down to the base of the mountain. What a quest. What an empty one. So he makes this initial conclusion then. It's vanity, striving after wind. Like trying to grasp the wind, point of the metaphor, trying to understand, comprehend what is beyond his human capacity or inability to do so. And if that's not enough, in addition to the problem of Solomon grasping all of this and coming up empty, look what he says in verse 15. He says, beyond all that, what is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Now, what's, what's the idea there? And you need to catch, oftentimes he's using these metaphors to, to present a, a, another truth with reference. Like when we're saying striving after wind, you're trying to catch something that you can't get your, get your hands upon. So things he's saying here, there's things that cannot be changed. That's the idea. Crooked can't be straightened. You can't fix. There's things you can't fix. He says there's, there's things lacking which can't be counted. You can't get to it. There's things you cannot figure out, never understand in this life. So the paraphrase is this. You catch it. He's saying, in all of my learning, in all of my wisdom, in all of my observation, in all of my investigation, there are all these things that don't make sense to me that I can't figure out. Is it injustices? Is it the reality of evil in the world? Well, we read on as you read the book again this week. You're going to see he uses an example like this. He says, why is it that there is a righteous man that dies early and an evil man 
that lives to old age. I don't like that. That doesn't make sense to him. Or, or just the very questions of life. Where, where, where did we come from? Why are we here? And I, I, I was going to do this, but I'm not, but I'm just going to mention it. It'd be like getting the world's most brilliant scientist and the world's uh, most uh, greatest philosopher and the world's most greatest uh, anthropologist and, and, and so forth and putting them together on a panel and asking them the question, where does life come from? And why has man never been able to bring world peace? And does man have a soul? What is it? And ask them that question, what is the purpose? What is the meaning in life? The most brilliant people, in addition to Solomon, that we could have on a panel. It'd be interesting, the answers, or if anybody just wanted to point to the other guy to try to make an answer. That's where we're at. The real questions. Now, you understand what's going on here. The things that he doesn't like is a result of a great problem that's come upon humanity. And when we think about things in this world, when we think about things in life, we have to remember, we have to go back to the beginning. Not only where we came from, who made us, and why we're here and we're not here for ourselves, but something happened following creation. And it's affect everything and everybody. What is it? It's the fall. And he's trying to answer the, 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 the issue, the question of, okay, all these questions relating to Problems as a result of what? Result of the fall. I think I shared with you before a time that Deborah and I was asked to go to speak to this gal and have an opportunity to talk to her, and she was in the final stages of some uh, cancer, and, and she wanted to know why the Lord was you know, punishing her with cancer. You know? And we, we as graciously as we could, but she kept asking, why, 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 why? So I said, well, the Bible has answers for us in these things, and here's a reality. It's hit all of us. It's the reality that sin has come into the world, and there's evil, and there's heartache, and there's cancer, and so forth. And it didn't click with her. She just wouldn't get it. She wouldn't get it. And then later on was said, well, I was telling people that she's suffering cancer because she's, she's committed some sin. No, we're all sinners. And you don't get to that issue. You're left at this level with the big question, why? Why? Well, you know that, and that's where he's at in life under the sun. Um, Phillips, J. Phillips has a good statement about this for us as well. He says, Solomon took note, for instance, of the bentness of things. That which is crooked cannot be straight. Of all the bent things under the sun, there is nothing more bent than human nature. There are at least 15 different Hebrew words for sin. By the way, did you know that? 15 different Hebrew words for sin in the Old Testament. One of them, avan, which captures the idea of perverseness. Actually, the, the, it, the name there is avon, so don't move to avon. Just kidding there, okay? Avon, one of them, which captures the idea of perverseness. It stems from a root which means to be bent or crooked. The word Solomon used for crooked here is avath, which is similar. It conveys the idea of falsifying something, of dealing perversely or perverting, of turning something upside down, which exactly describes the fall, what the fall has done to all human nature. 
and you look at, you catch the news and say, why, why are we calling what's evil good and why are we calling what's good evil? Amen? No, oh, let's figure this all out. Where does this all come from? What's the problem? How do we solve this on a human level without God and without this book? Do you treasure this book? We have answers. We have answers in the Word of God. Praise the Lord for that. Now, many assert that our real problem in the world is education. It's the answer to all of our ills, many assert. And why? Solomon may be on this quest to prove that to be so. But it didn't seem to work for him, did it? There's an interesting statement. Of course, all of the Bible is interesting and profitable for us. But the Apostle Paul makes a statement in 2 Timothy talking about end times. We're in them. And he gives characteristics of end times. Now, in the context of education is the answer for everything, do you remember what Paul said in uh, 2 Timothy? He said the reality in the last days, people are always going to be learning and never what? Able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And the truth is found right here and in the person of Christ. There should be some, some better amens this morning. Amen? Amen? Just having the truth, having the word of God. Um, what a statement by Paul. What a statement in the word of God. Um, yeah, T.S. Eliot made a statement, all our knowledge brings us near to our ignorance. Well, there is a sense in which the farther you climb up the mountain of wisdom and knowledge, the more you can see how much farther it is up there above that you don't have or can't understand truth. Vance Havner has these wonderful old statements that he makes various times. He says, it's, interest, it's, it's exceedingly odd how scholars master whole libraries seeking wisdom while a janitor nearby has enjoyed it for years. Hmm. A guy by the name of Josh McDowell this is way back. Now, his, I think his sons, I think, are carrying on some of that apologetical ministry. He wrote a book that's called, what? Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And then he wrote another book, and it was called More. <laughs> Evidence That Demands a Verdict. I just want to say this. I'm, I'm grateful for people who love apologetics, but there's never been anyone who's ever been convinced on a human level to be saved. You cannot produce life to dead people with arguments. There's one thing that saves. It is the gospel. It is the word of God. It is the truth of Christ giving, being the way to truth and life and the way. Amen? So, but, but I'm thankful for that. I don't, don't want to just badmouth him. I'm thankful for that particular idea, but um, somebody has said, he, he had made this statement in the years that he was speaking. I found this quote. He said, Christian apologist Josh McDowell, speaking at college campuses in the 60s and 70s, boy, were those years. Wow. Often reminded audiences that if education was the key to life, then universities would be the most moral, ethical, and spiritual centers in any nation. Education would be equate with contentment. Oh, that's true on our campuses today. Amen. 
Yeah. So uh, the education in and of itself doesn't really have all the answers. In uh, Jeremiah's book, it's one that's recommended on the table out there, Searching for Heaven on Earth, which I think is an interesting title. In his introduction, he talks about John Berryman. Anybody here just a real lover of poetry? Well, John Berryman is a famous poet, um, soared among the elite of his, of his century, the past century. He seemed to have made every conquest a poet might crave. He was beloved, a beloved university professor, a, a Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, sat on his shelf, for, uh, given to him for his 77 dream songs, um, poems, collection of in 1960s. Widespread acclaim brought him fame, brought him friends, and brought him followers. He had seemingly found the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. This is our guy. But one frozen January day in 1972, he came to his last stanza. Poet walked across a bridge in Minnesota, waved to a stranger, and leaped to his death in the icy Mississippi River at age 58. In some of his writings, he said, I, I still feel rotten. In one of his poems, he wrote, After all has been said, it seems like all has been said. Man is a huddle of need. And he is. He needs to know God. And in all of that, for this man, all of his wisdom, how sad, he ended up saying, all is what? All is vanity. This is where people are at. This is where people, this is where you and I were at. Or living, seeking to live the American dream or whatever else. So we uh, cannot forget um, Augustine's statement. Let's read it again together. Thou hast made us for, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Amen. Mm -hmm. Wiersbe has a way. I'm so jealous of that man. He has a way of putting everything together for us, doesn't he? So let's just dive in here for a moment of what he says concerning Solomon and this quest of wisdom. He says, Solomon was looking at these problems from a vantage point under the sun. And that's why they seemed insoluble. Wisdom and experience will not solve every problem. Those who go through life living on explanations will always be unhappy for at least two reasons. First, this side of heaven, there are no explanations for some things that happen, and God is not obligated to explain them anyway. And if he did, we might not understand them anyhow. Second, God has ordained that his people live by promises and not by explanations. By faith and not by, everybody say, not by, blessed are they who have not seen and yet have believed. Now let's not go to the other ditch. Education is a good thing, but it's not the ultimate answer to this life. So listen, you say, I want my kid to grow up and I want him to, I want him to get a good education. Hey, praise the Lord. I want him to go to college, maybe go and get a PhD. Okay, great. Why do you want that for him? Why do you want that for her? 
Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Don't misquote me here. Why do you want that for him? Because I want them to get a really good job. Oh, great. Why do you want them to get a really good job? So they can do really well, make lots of money. Why do you want them to really do well and make lots of money? So they can be happy. Happy. Like John Berryman. Right? So let's think through, what are we, what are we seeing in all of that? Not saying bad about education, but you're not going to arri arrive at the ultimate things. You're not going to arrive at the fact of why are we here? We were not created for ourselves. And if it always gets back to that and what we will gain personally, we're going to be empty and say, is that, is that all there is? What a great statement by Wearsby. Amen? And he does reveal to us, don't miss it, God has revealed to us in his word everything that we need to know about him, about salvation, and everything, as Peter says, pertaining to life and godliness. We have everything that we need to know from the Word of God to give answers, everything we need to know from the Word of God for guidance and for decisions, everything in the Word of God that we need to know about how to be God's kind of man, God's kind of woman, God's kind of dad, God's kind of mother, God's kind of teen, and in the process, how to experience joy and peace and fulfillment and, and being able to know how and where you're heading when you come to the end of your tether, as one writer says. Because this, this life is not our ultimate home. Amen. So, um, how was he then disappointed? <laughs> well, let's read again. Verse, first he says this, and I, I want you to note verse 16 when he says, I said to myself, behold... You notice there, there's 12 through verse 18, there are a whole lot of eyes. You get the drift? I, 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 yeah. I said to myself, behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. Wow! <laughs> but get to verse 17. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I realize this also is striving after wind, because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increased knowledge results in increased pain. <laughs> wow. He gave it all he had, didn't he? This is a real journey. He became an encyclopedia on information. Look over chapter 7, verse 25. 7, 25 with me. I directed my mind, 7, 25, to investigate and seek wisdom and an explanation and to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. Now, some suggest that what we're getting to with that statement with Solomon is that he experienced everything of madness and folly. My understanding, and there are plenty of others that um, assert that, is that he's not saying at this point that he uh, experienced it all. He's saying at this point he investigated it all. He sought to figure it out. But remember, he's going to move to that in chapter 2, He's going to say, hey, the real answer to life is, ple is pleasure and things. 
and where that all leads. So this word for madness is the idea of panorama of deranged ideas. Folly, you get that definition more than once in the Proverbs from Solomon again. It's, it's the, the, the vice and wickedness of a fool. So, so Solomon sought to investigate and do we have that up there? I think we do. Yes. I think Phillips is right on. Solomon sought to investigate the dark side of human behavior. The dark side. His research was, why do people do all those strange, bizarre, crazy, and evil things that they do? And I'm going to give you a quiz um, on that this morning. You have to pick an answer just to see if we're on the same page today. So why, why do people do all the strange and bizarre and crazy and ev- even evil things that they do? Here's our uh, dark side of human. It is because people have low self-esteem. Isn't that true? If they love themselves more, they wouldn't do bad things. How many votes for low self-esteem? All right, let's try another one. How about lack of education? We've just been there, haven't we? Not sure that's it. How about this? You had a bad childhood. I did. My dad spanked me. It was terrible. (laughs) Bad child. By the way, uh, Berriman saw his father take his life when Berriman was 11 years old. And you read some of his writings. I didn't read very many, but just enough that it comes through in there. He couldn't get past that. Why? Why? Bad childhood. But is that the answer to all the evil and problems and in life how about mental disease everything today is a mental disease if we just had more uh, m- more medication and more information um, people wouldn't behave badly or how about jeremiah seventeen nine? and if you don't know that verse Raise your hand. No, I wouldn't do that. If you don't know that verse, you better know it. And you better go there with me right now. Okay? Isaiah, Jeremiah, 17. And I want to do that for not only to remind us and point out that verse. um, And if you mark your Bible, of course you have that marked, that verse. Uh, There's so much more in that chapter. Um, But... I want you to not only read verse 9, I want you to be sure that you read verse 10. It's amazing how the context is important to a verse. Amen? 17.9. We could quote it together, right? Go ahead with me. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Or King James says wicked, right? Who can understand it? Well, verse 10. I'll tell you who. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. And he knows your heart right now, right now, today, doesn't he? He knows why you're here, if you prepared your heart for the word. He knows whether your heart is for him, or we could be talking about you today with reference to the quest for so many other things that can so easily be be true in our lives. Akins writes this, this quote, 
He says that the Rolling Stone song says, no matter how much we try, we can't get no. I'm sorry you know that. Our desires are never saturated. We are not happy, nor are we content. Always want more. We think if we could just get two floors up in the building or if we could just get, a, get the bigger house in the gated neighborhood or if we had more gadgets, then we, have, we would uh, have arrived. We keep wa- waiting for a change in circumstances that will make us happy. And honestly, we live and honestly, we live our entire lives in that way. You're frustrated under the lack of freedom in your parents' house as a child and think to yourself, I can't wait to get my license and go to college because then I'll be free and happy. Then you get into college and you think, I cannot wait till I get out of this boring study job, study, and start doing a job that I really like. And then you graduate and you take the job and you say to yourself, if only I could find someone to love and get married, then I'd be happy. And then you find someone and you fall in love and you get married and you think, if we could just have a family. (laughs) If we could just have a family, then life would be complete. And so you have kids, sanctifiers. Amen, everybody? You have sanctifiers. You have kids and then you think, if I could get promoted, I'd make more money and provide for my family, then... Then, 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 then. Cycle never ends. You keep thinking, if I can just get there, everything will be different. But when you get there, nothing is, nothing's different. Nothing's different. Yeah. So Solomon discovered the exercise of his wisdom brought him a royal pain in the neck. <laughs> Back to Wearsby. We love him. He always brings things together for us, doesn't he? The scientist tells us the world is closed system and nothing has changed. The historian tells us that life is a closed book and nothing is new. The philosopher tells us that life is a deep problem and nothing is understood. But Jesus Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And he has miraculously broken into history to bring new life to all who trust in him. If you're living in circles, then come to him. Turn your life over to him. Meaning and purpose and significance of life will never be found in oneself or by oneself. Our greatest need is to know God, our creator, and our greatest purpose and satisfaction is to worship and serve him. Let's do that this day and every day. Amen? All right, then then chapter 2, keep reading the book. You didn't think I'd ever get to the chapter two, did you? Amen? We're going to keep rolling. Keep rolling. This book is from God for us to see and remember we live in a fallen world and people need the Lord. Amen? Father, thank you for our time together uh, this morning for your truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify your people in it today, not only from the time we've had, but in the hour to come. Bless the ministry of the word to our hearts, and we'll thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen.